Hello and welcome to a new episode of Tangents with Colleen and Mike. My name's Mike. And I'm Colleen. Colleen, what are we talking about today? Mike, instead of talking about jokes, we talk about improv. We also talk about the process of making jokes for improv. We're talking about why the infinite jest, which I haven't finished yet, is not good, but David Foster Wallace is, apparently. And <laughs> what a special shout out for all the stoners. We do a bunch of stoner questions. Debunked by science. Yes, today on the episode. He is a failed comedian turned online TikTok philosopher. It's a tale as old as time. You know what else is old? His jokes. He's a triple threat of philosophy, physics, and cybersecurity. The hill he will die on is the Digimon is far superior to Pokemon. Everyone say hello to Jack Lawrence. Musical ghosts. Hi. Hello. We're doing it. Hi. All right. What's Everything's up? fine. I wouldn't touch anything else. So this <laughs> no, I'm not. I just left it there. It's going to be hi. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on your podcast, guys. Really yes. pleasure to be. Thanks um, for being here. Everyone say hello to Jack. Jack Lawrence. Hello, everybody. Uh, also hi. known as Jack Lawrence from TikTok. Uh, that's my full name now, Jack Lawrence from TikTok. <laughs> Working on the passport changes. In, in, infamous, infamous TikToker of of uh, what is it? Is it philosophy and psychology, or is it? Or am I uh, philosophy right? and physics? Is what I'm going for. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I've got no absolutely no expertise in psychology whatsoever. But if I do manage to go make some videos about it, feel free to call me out because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Can I swear on this podcast? I should. Oh, you, you can totally you can do whatever you want, man. Crazy. Just don't be don't be like yeah. offensive, offensive, like you know. Oh you yeah, no, yeah. Well, don't be liberal, <laughs> offensive. But aside I don't from think that, I have any scalding hot takes, but uh, I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> wow, it's uh, it's it's. I'm I'm stoked to have you. I've been following you for a long time, following you around. I know you're, where you live and every every move you take and every step yeah, yeah. you breathe. You know how boring and, my uh, life is. It's just a very very boring life. It's like you, this guy doesn't do much. He just fucking sits in his room, works, and makes videos. Like what, what a geezer. The dream. What do, what do you work? Do you have like uh, where a, I work? A job outside of, of TikTok? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> so uh, my job has nothing to do with the TikTok content I make. Um, okay. So I work in cybersecurity uh, for Accenture. Uh, and uh, most of my work right now is uh, remote. Uh, and actually, hilariously, I'm working with the UK Ministry of Defense quite directly right now. So uh, that's, a, that's a fun time to be working with them. So. Can, I, can I just say that that's a, a shocking thing to find out? Because in my head, it's just like, one of us, one of us. Because we're software developers, so oh, real sick, for real, awesome. yeah. I did nice. not. Could you be less impressive? Just, just for yeah, a second. Yeah, could you? Could you stop uh, being so uh, awesome? Well, I, like, well, I'm okay. Well, I suppose uh, the fact that you think it's impressive that I'm like you guys is good, also, because you guys clearly have, have slight high esteem. Like he's yeah, like, sure. he's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that was the only uh, wave we could write of because um, uh, f- philosophy and physics is something that we have a amateurish grasp. At most oh, yeah. of yeah, but I can't code the shit, so you're fine. Like seriously, like like. <laughs> but what's oh. more impressive, like writing code <laughs> or being a philosopher? Uh, writing code. Code's just magic. Good code is magic. Yeah. It's like uh, like you know, well, the, the good code makes this happen, whereas philosophy just confuses things. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like. Is this the first tangent we go on? Is this where I start to ramble? Well, okay. Here's, 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 here's my here's, here's something I, I sometimes think about, which is uh, good writing is just coding in language. Like it's just like like when I I really enjoy writing. That's like my main hobby. I'd say more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think of it as really what I'm trying to do. And sometimes it's compared to music, but I do think of it like coding in that there are these like chunks and paragraphs and sentences and syntax. And 
I'm really trying to run a program in someone else's brain and what's the most efficient way of me doing that. Um, that's sometimes how I think about it. I never thought of it like that. That's kind I've, of impressive. I've been presented the idea. The only argument against it that I have is there's no coding representation of metaphors in poetry. Right. Oh yeah. That's there's the only. It's <laughs> like a one-on-one translation, like off the top of your brain. What would that look like? A what? A one-on-one translation? Yeah. If, so writing, just normal writing, like when you are explicit, direct. You want to send a message across. You write in this way. Okay. But when you add in metaphors and stuff, stuff, stuff in the writing, why would you do that in code? Are you asking me? You're asking him. Yeah. Uh, he said he cannot code for shit. I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, oh, uh. Thanks. I'll set this functional one programming. <laughs> I was going to say mon- monads. Monads? Even monads. There you go. There. Functional Fine. programming. It's, so, yeah. But it's probably just because it's so esoteric to us. Well, it makes it what? look better. And also, just functional programming and monads. And don't make me explain what that is because I have no fucking clue. It's just like a buzzword, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's a buzzword to me, it feels like, oh, this is a far off esoteric thing. It's mystical and shit, like a metaphor or imagine, whatever. Imagine if uh, computer science and set theory had a baby together. Yeah. Oh, nice. Actually, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> a really good way of explaining it. <laughs> so how do you get, how do you, how do you end up from, from philosophy to, and physics to cybersec? Uh, so, uh, oh, that's a real good question. By having no real direction in life. Um, so That's just some stumbling. good stumbling you're doing. Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> if I, <laughs> if I so, may say so. I mean, I, mean I, I bumped into some sharp things on the way. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, long story short, I did a physics degree, um, but wasn't sure I wanted to be a physicist. Did a year of working in business, really hated it. Ran you. back screaming into the arms of academia. Did a degree in the philosophy of physics. And that's hence the, I mean, I did some philosophy in my undergrad physics, but it was only some extra modules. But yeah, I did um, master's in the philosophy of physics. Uh, but I had a PhD offer, but couldn't get funding. And like, sort of my life was sort of falling apart at the time. So then ended up sort of like getting a job at a sort of software company. Um, and then my mate was working at this company called Darktrace, which you may have heard of if you're in cybersecurity. Um, just like a cybersecurity vendor. They do stuff with like AI and machine learning. Um, but, uh, the long and short of what they do is um, uh, they uh, their whole shtick is um, to protecting its zero day threats. And so, mm-hmm. for people who don't know what a zero day threat is, it's basically um, like a new a new way of hacking into something, and it might be a new virus or a new program or what have you. Uh, and um, their their ideas are actually pretty cool. Technology is pretty good. Um, uh, I've left their company, so this is actually a relatively unbiased take. I would like to think. And what they do is they um, they look at all the network traffic uh, in a network. And they build up basically um, what a sort of normal level of traffic is. So they, they just stick a bunch of machine learning on it and say, okay, like how often do these two computers speak to one another? What protocols do they use? What uh, IP addresses are typically assigned and so on? How many devices are on the network? Blah, 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 blah. You get data on all that. You leave it on for a few weeks. And their thinking is, well, look, you know, if um, something get uh, some sort of hacker coming in or a bunch of stuff is getting wiped or encrypted, that's going to be a huge deviation from normal activity. So you can use with a bunch of, sort of like, you know, basically Bayesian statistics. Uh, after a certain sort of threshold of deviation, you can just decide, hey, we're going to shut that down um, and send TCP resets to a bunch of traffic and just halt that. So that's basically the entire premise of their technology. So I worked with them for a bunch, uh, and then now I'm in a different cyber uh, security job. And that's my entire life story. Thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Welcome to my tech talk. (laughs) You know, uh, on on the way here, we joke that we're... (laughs) I'm going to feel like an idiot. I didn't expect to feel like an idiot six minutes in. 
Why, why do you feel like an idiot? What are, what are you talking about? It's so impressive. Like it's so. I've that's that's just that's impressive. What? what, what I got, I I went to university and got a job. That's <laughs> like yeah, what, but like it just feels like it has like philosophy and physics and then cybersec feel like such n- n- not connected. <laughs> Topics. Well, that's, that, I, I, I suppose you can take it in two different ways. Like, it's, it's very generous of you to interpret it in an impressive way. It's like, oh my god, look at this guy bouncing around, multidisciplinary. For me, it's like, man, I really have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, I'll try this. Sure, I'll do it for a couple of years. Why not? Um, okay. So, uh, for me, it's just been a series of identity crises, really. Um, but yeah, no, we'll go with your more romanticized version. I'll take that. Yeah, let's, let's take that one. Yeah, I could do anything. Yeah, easy, man. Whatever. Yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an expert in all these fields. Yeah, totally. Of course, definitely. So, how did you end up on TikTok then? Um, so, uh, my main creative outlet, my main creative hobby was improvised comedy for many years. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I used to be funny. Not anymore, obviously. Um, that was many many years ago. Cynicism and sarcasm. Exactly. The philosophy Uh, happened in the meantime. (laughs) Thinking happened. It's like, oh, they won't laugh. I should must think about this. Uh, (laughs) so I did that for many years. Really quite seriously, actually. I took shows to Edinburgh Fringe. I toured in America. Uh, and so, uh, you know, me and my friends were, were pretty good. We were, about, um, I think, almost as close as you can get to becoming sort of semi-professional. Like we were doing shows, we had a regular gig in London uh, near Leicester Square and all this stuff, we were becoming relatively well-known. And then the pandemic hit and obviously in-person theater just mm-hmm. got shut down. And, uh, you know, me sitting at home thinking, oh, I'm such a you know creative snowflake. I need some outlet for all these amazing ideas I have. So I decided to start making videos online, uh, sort of like trying to make YouTube sketches and essentially. And uh, and other stuff like video essays because I'm big fan of YouTube uh, and consume a lot of content there. So just started messing around. I, I promised myself uh, I'd do a year's worth of um, videos, and I, I actually was like set. I gave a whole name. I called it a year of bad art, and that's like how I started it because I was thinking I've never made videos before. They'll probably be shit because I've never done it before. And also there was something really cringeworthy to me about making content when you don't have an audience because the only people who are likely to watch it are your friends. So there's this sense yeah. of me being like, hey, guys, could you please watch my video? I'm trying to be funny, uh, which I just hated. So I had to sort of like um, get the joke in first by being like, yeah, this is going to be bad, but I'm going to try and do a thing. And uh, in the last week of that project, um, so I promised to do it for a year, I um, I had a, I was playing around with TikTok occasionally, and I had a TikTok that went viral uh, where I stitched a video with Hank Green. And I went from like 100 followers to 6,000 followers. Holy shit. Uh, and um, uh, out of the video was on a bit, philosophy of time i never expected it to blow up or anything like that and what was even worse was a bunch of people but about a third to two-thirds of the comments i can't remember now uh were basically saying it's not it's not that but to explain the video it was basically talking about how it's kind of hard to build a clock because if you're comparing two clocks you don't necessarily know which one's running faster or slower but just by looking at them and there's something right. interesting to consider about that and a, a solid portion of the comments were just use the sundial bro it's not that hard just use the sundial <laughs> And when the video went viral, I was out in Cambridge with a girl and freaking out, but also looking, just thinking, you know, having this perception of like the entire internet thinks I'm a moral. I'm like, no, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> so the next day I, you know, got to my room, made five videos. as like a defense. Um, and then, you know, a couple of those got quite a few views and then I just kept making them. And that's, um, that was last May and here I am speaking to you now. So. That's crazy. You're at 300,000 subscribers on followers, whatever they're calling TikTok. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nuts. I'm trying to think about it because it's just, it's just weird. Think Very about weird. it. Think about it. <laughs> Existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's a weird sort of context of the platform. I just try and like, I've the, the, the I'm not sure I've, I've had any. Like the one rule I, I try and think of is just don't waste anyone's time. Like if I'm going to put something up, 
Hmm. Uh, I know there's a lot of crap on TikTok, but I just, uh, I don't know, I'm not a particularly good dancer. So I'm just like, well, I should, I should try and make some good videos. <laughs> That's what I'll do. So yeah. We're doing the opposite. We're like, let's record three hours worth of content with it's someone. Different. It's, different. Oh, it's not it. completely nonsensical content because I've saw videos like ex explicitly named one hour of non useless information. Really? I, yeah. They That's are. a thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's wake one. No. Oh no! I, it's a channel that I'm subscribed to, and I'm even not even me. Not I'm I'm not this looking guy. at those things. This guy with his subscriptions, God. Sorry. That's how it works. I know we've had this conversation before. Like I'm really meticulous about what I follow, and mm -hmm. I'll occasionally go back and I'll comb through them, and I'm like I I haven't I haven't cared about this person in a while. Unfollow, and oh yeah. I like this new thing, and I'll follow it. He's just like gathering them. He's just had to backlog of shit that's just there on the but that's interesting because i don't judge you for that i just find it in i find it amazing. what do you judge me for based a on my youtube history things lot... choices mate but yeah <laughs> <laughs> the magic shit that's the state that should i judge you for <laughs> but, uh, the, the, i find it interesting how you can like you have that i don't know what like mental willpower or something to to not care about them to just go like <laughs> i want to watch that one but not these other 15 around it where I'm like, I want to, I just want to be shown things I will watch. Oh, I see. So, my, do, do you do you like keeping up with everything? So you don't like missing an episode? Yeah. Is that the sense yeah. of it? Yeah. Right. I've been, I've so been, I've been like not, I've been go, I've been getting very few hours of sleep in the last two weeks, catching up on Critical Role, which are like four hour long live streams each. I've never watched an episode of that, but uh, I have a couple of friends who are really into it. Um, oh, I enjoy D and D, so I. Uh, we're we're playing D and D. We just had our our uh, campaign last night. A wicked, uh, like our latest, our last episode. <laughs> last episode. Yeah, and it was cool. What do you play? What do you play? Oh, uh, what was the last character I made? It was um, I, I generally uh, ones I played was like a paladin type character normally, or like oh. some sort of yeah. I normally go for that uh, just because, again, the people I tend to play D and D with are my improv my improv pals. And yeah. so I want to play a character where I can just put them in dumb situations and still <laughs> play along for like a few more hours. Uh, and you thought a paladin was the best way to do that? It's, it's like, I don't know, paladin is just like a funny class to me. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, it shouldn't be, but it, to me, it's just like the, yeah, I'll be a bit of everything. I don't really give a fuck, even though I should. I, I play like a, a cynical pa paladin. That's like, that's like oh, the wow. thing I do. That's um, interesting. Don't anyway. lose your powers. Yeah, yeah, well. Uh, the, the last serious... Yeah, it took me a while before I fully clocked how hard it was to actually be a DM in D&D. Uh, &D. Uh, yeah. yeah, early on, I, I would troll way too hard, and I actually had a friend like take me aside and go, Jack, I, I put a lot of effort into this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin this for me. Jack, you please just like shut up for like five minutes. I'm like, all right, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the annoying guy at the table. And, uh, it's, it's so funny. It's such an inherently <laughs> funny situation uh, for me, but I know some people take it very seriously. Yeah. Do you guys min max or are you are you pretty casual? Do we what? Min max. So are you all about maximizing stats? Uh, you know, getting as much as you can out of every encounter, rolling for everything. Our 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 DMs very role play oriented. Gotcha. So we do a lot of well, we. I mean, I guess the overarching thing is a lot of storytelling. Mm. Uh, the core of us that started are really into storytelling. So we're kind of like, I, me at least, I'm there, I'm living. I made my character very similar to who I am in reality. So I'm just there. I'm like a tiefling bard looking for his dad who abandoned him as a child or some shit. So I'm just like, I'm there. Uh, you got preferential treatment. Why? 
Because the like half of the story is just based on you, the way it started, right? Because him and the DM are very close, and he knows him yeah. quite intimately. So and he I, tailored everything around some aspects of no, uh, real life. Kind of. Okay. I did. I did take advantage of the fact that I'm good friends with the DM, and I know about other campaigns. He has. He has like his own university created, right? So I. I. I spend a lot of time with him, and I know about other people that he plays in campaigns with. Um, and I know, I know loosely what happens in those, but I made my character very lore focused. So it would make sense for him to know shit that's happening in the world. Right. Even though it's like from outside of the, what the character character is experiencing. He's just fucking the witcher. He's, he's just, he's just, I'm a feudal bond hunter. It's easy. I'm just a tank. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. Of course. Not a tank in the sense that I, a tank, I take the damage, but Except for last time, almost all my rolls was was one kill, one shot, one kill. Yeah, nice. he enchants just his beginner's wo- gun and then just headshot someone. That's DPS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is so, Mike. In terms of then, if you're saying you're really living it, what do you get? So uh, obviously, D and D campaigns go on for a long time and stuff like that. Do yeah. you think? I suppose to uh, by the name of this podcast, doing a tangent here. Yeah. I've often thought a lot about, because I've done a lot of improv and I've done uh, quite a bit of D&D, and both of them are essentially, when you're playing a sort of, certainly with D&D, a more role-playing type of thing, are really just uh, constructive ways of playing make-believe, right, with your friends, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and sort of embodying some sort of story. And I think that's a practice which, you know, obviously kids do a lot of, but we as adults tend to really drift out of, and if people don't have something like that. And the closest thing they have is really just having imaginary arguments with someone in the shower, Yep. Uh, but not doing with other people. And I sometimes wonder whether there is something like quite deep and psychologically um, cathartic or healthy about playing through stories in real time that aren't your own, that sort of living it. Uh, hmm. do, you sort of see, do you sort of see what I'm getting at? Like, um, it, yeah, it's, I definitely it, agree with that. Like, but you're specifically saying about stories that are not your own. It, well, it, it, I suppose... In, in the same sense of when you're watching a movie and you're really, you know, rooting for some characters and you're sort of, you're emotionally with them through the story mm-hmm. and they, you know, they ha- it's a tragedy or it's a triumph or whatever and then you feel that and you walk out of the cinema or walk out of your living room or whatever, you know, having taken some emotional uh, journey with that. Uh, I feel like in uh, D&D or, or in improv, it's, it's very easy, it's perhaps easier for that to happen because it is you, you are saying the words, you are making the decisions as opposed yeah. to passively yeah, being course. brought along. Like one of the, the most difficult thing is trying to explain somebody who's not into fantasy and D and D. Explain the whole thing and why it's such such so much fun inside that uh, sacred circle mm. where you play. That just the fact that everybody there, it's just a suspension of belief. Everybody's in it. It's amazing. It's like so good, and it gives you this out. Let's call it an outlet. Like you, you can just be in situations you wouldn't have been in, and if it's done right, if everybody plays their character has. Uh, willful and intentionally as they should like you're actually feeling stuff like at some points when we were caught in there like red handed by the big bad guy we were like we were tense like, I feel like, like a young kid shit. being yeah. caught by my parents and scolded like what the fuck do I do now yeah. that definitely happened to me as well because I was I was, I started off as like this like witty you know fuck you kind of a tiefling bard and then we met with the bad guy and I was just kind of like sitting there like oh, oh I, I don't want to say anything I don't want to get us in trouble I'll just <laughs> shut the fuck up and then and then the DM scolded me in real life he's like dude what are you doing you're supposed to be playing this sin I'm like I know but I don't I don't <laughs> know what to do right yeah 
and he's a really good DM. He's really good at role playing. So he's he's there. He's in the like he'll aggressively uh, calculate our um, our our attack rolls and all of those things. And I'm like, dude, why are you so aggressive? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's not. I'm just still in character. I'm just trying to get over the numbers so I can continue being in character. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's but yeah, I don't know. I I have a very very easy time like just switching context in my brain or like being i guess empathetic in some some sense like i'll if i go to superhero movie i've seen spider-man and i went i'm like oh my god i want to fucking climb on walls like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah let's yeah, do yeah, shit I get, I get that so yes dnd is like that times a thousand hmm. have you guys ever tried improv comedy or anything like that because i i've found there's a there's a really tight crossover um i, I say improv comedy I, or any sort of improvised improvised theater sounds more pretentious, but that's really what it is because you don't always have to be funny in the same way as with D and D. Like you don't have to be funny. So. I'm situationally funny, is what I call it. Like I yeah, don't I, mean, I don't uh, remember jokes, but I'll be witty on the spot. Like when a conversation, be like ha ha whatever. Yeah. Um, so I guess I I it's a thing because of that. It's a thing that I always thought I should do, but I never. Do we have that in our town? I don't think we have that uh, you can in this part of the something. world. You never looked into it. I never looked into it. But yeah, that's true. There is theater. There's theater circles, clubs, yeah, whatever. But Definitely somebody's some doing improv. And they're boring. They're doing like classical theater or whatever. Do like the vagina yeah, you want to play that. Like monologues. No, there has to be somebody who does improv. There aren't book yeah, arrests. Just, yeah, just saying, like, if you ever get the chance to, to go to a jam or anything like that, um, or, or like um, certainly, uh, um, you know, there are, big improv scenes in New York, London, but like very big capital cities and stuff like that. And so you can just yeah. hop in and jam with people. And even if you've never done it before, like it's normally a good vibe. Plus also improv and people who do improv uh, by actual theater people, improv is considered the sort of lowest most form of theater. <laughs> so they're generally the outcasts already. So they're really generally not too snooty or pretentious. There's nothing, okay. fun, there's nothing funnier than someone who's really pretentious about improv. <laughs> because you just know, <laughs> like, dude, you, you are, like, yeah, the king of the lowest hill right now. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. King of the valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Why is it considered that, though? Uh, well, I think, that, well, that's just, I've seen sort of anecdotally through different circles. I think it's because, um, yeah, I mean, the improv people are just generally seen as a bunch of goofballs. Uh, and that's mostly correct. You do, I'm being a little bit unfair, you do get the occasional person. Um, so one of my closest friends uh, is very passionate about improv and, and more considers it's one of the highest forms of theatre because, you know, it's, you're present with the audience and it's live there and it's there's a connection to it. Uh, and, it and it's a very organically way of being, uh, interacting with the audience. Um, but most people, but that was him. The rest of our group were basically like, ah, but if, if it's funny, we'll do it. Like, like <laughs> don't ever complicate it, mate. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. So, so I guess it would be the fact that it feels that it's way easier to do improv than, I don't know, classical theater, right? You don't have to memorize Hamlet. Or well, yeah, whatever. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like, if you've ever like, just been in a conversation without a script, you can do improv. Like, improv is the natural way of us interacting. The script is shit's the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're situationally mm -hmm. funny, and uh, with D&D, &D, you're embodying a character. Like, and you're, you're, you're you know, saying lines as if you were someone else. That's basically what you do in improv. Uh, mm -hmm. and so it just changes a bit more fluidly and uh, can be a bit more chaotic but once you really know the people you're improvising with it can be really good um, anyway sorry I feel like I'm pitching you into something <laughs> no, no, no. Like a, you should try this at some point you might enjoy it and that was meant to be the anecdote but yeah so. no but it got, it got me thinking like I'm really curious about it uh, and I forgot my idea what D&D improv show because it has been done but no do. I'm sure it has been done <laughs> no I'm just thinking like oh okay here it is uh, uh 
for theater, right? You're you're memorizing things and you're getting into the character or whatever, right? And you have to do all the the, the, the movement and all that, everything. In improv, you don't have to memorize those things. So would that imply that you have to be somewhat naturally funny or witty to be able to do that? Or is it a skill that you can learn? Uh, so I suppose two things on that. Uh, first, it depends on what you're, the effect you're trying to give to the audience. Um, not everyone can learn to be like, say, Robin Williams, who was a brilliant improviser in terms of being oh, yeah. very naturally, extremely funny, extremely witty. The thing I really like about improv is that I truly believe from the depths of my soul that there is a way for almost, pretty much anyone to be naturally funny through improv. And even if you're like, oh, I'm not a very witty person, I'm not extravagant, I can't do funny voices, I'm just a very deadpan, you know, neutral sort of type of person. I'm like, you. that's that's like, think of people as like ingredients in a dish. Like you, you might, you with someone who's really bouncy, that can be hilarious because in a scene, you can have mm. someone who's just totally emotionally unaffected with what's going on, deadpan, and that can just be the funniest fucking shit ever. And, you know, and like, and so I've, I've seen people, because I've taught a lot of improv, where you know they'll do a scene and they'll you know they'll think oh they'll just I've said just you know be yourself don't try and impress anyone uh, you know do what comes naturally and they'll just say something like uh, like a character will come and be like oh you know I set the house on fire I'm really sorry uh, and then the other and they'll just be like okay that's fine and then and then people will laugh and then they'll suddenly look around like confused just being like I, I just said okay and then like, the audience will think it's the funniest fucking shit ever so. Um, it depends on who you're with. Uh, so yeah, I think the reason why a lot of people freeze at improv is they have this idea of like, oh, I've got to make people laugh. I've got to be funny. It's like, dude, it'll naturally be funny. The funny will come. Just like follow, like you will naturally make a mistake. But one of my, um, one of my teachers, uh, the way he approached it, he said, one of the best ways to do improv is just to take it as seriously as you can. Someone eventually will fuck up and it will be funny. Like, because they'll just say something like, completely out of place. Like, I like, try and, and then he, the way he demonstrated this, he meet, he got some, one of my friends. He said, All right, let's do a scene like on an aircraft carrier. And he just said, All right. And he said, like, uh, All right, for the Admiral, uh, Admiral um, who, uh, what, what planes do we have landing today? And of course, my friend doesn't know anything about planes. So he's like, Oh, we've got an F 19 jet. It's like, Right, what's coming next? <laughs> he's like, uh, An F 20 jet. What's coming next? An F 21 jet. <laughs> Admirable. Are you, are, you, are you just listing old numbers sequentially? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, it's naturally something dumb will happen. So. I like that. Not sure if that answers your question, but yeah. No, yeah, the, basically, I was, I, the whole time I was thinking of pinking the brain. Just a goofball uh, yeah. and someone who's like serious, I guess. Classic. Classic. I would imagine as long as you follow the yes and rule and keep the flow going, you cannot mm. really fuck up. Like, yeah. the sense of fucking up, right? Completely. So yeah, um, the the yes and rule is definitely like the first rule of improv, and then the improvisers diverge on what they they think you should do from that. Um, for me, there's basically three. There's got yes and definitely the primary one. Although there's nuance to that. Um, in that, uh, again, for the it starts off when you, when you teach people the yes and rule, it's the, like a go to uh, when someone gives you an offer is just to reply yes and like uh, like ah oh, the bus is so late today, and then you go ah oh, yes and you know we're gonna miss the exam at school or whatever you're building on that. But another way of saying yes and is literally by saying no. Yes and is really just confirming the reality that your scene partner is offering you and building upon it. So one of my favorite counterexamples um, to showing how like no can be the best yes is um, uh, opening scene with saying um, uh, like uh, best friend or whatever. Um, have you seen my gold-plated you know, Rolex, uh, Rolex watch, which is you know 20 years old and, and vintage? Uh, and then the friend replies, oh, the one that you normally keep on your bedside drawer and that you only take off during the hours of like 7 to 7.03 p.m.? 
no, I have no idea where it might be. Like, like, he's, <laughs> like, like he's saying no, but like clearly by adding all that detail, this character clearly, and that's like, he's like, no, no, absolutely, no, of course not. This is a stupid idea. So, um, I like that. What's the yeah. third one? You said there were three. So, so yeah, so that's the first one. So that's yes and, and that's just a nuanced version of yes and. The second oh, okay. one is um, who, what, where. Uh, and that's just the three questions that you should answer between yourselves. Uh, and then the rest of the scene's fine. Like the, the, the pro- when you see bad improv, it's normally, in my opinion, an, a failure to establish those three things. So if you see like people starting an off, bad, bad improvisers who, who are doing yes and, you'll sometimes see two improvisers going and they'll be like, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like good weather. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been a nice day today, hasn't it? And like, so they're talking. There's other things happening, but then they're bored. They don't know where to go. The audience doesn't really know what the fuck's going on, uh, mm-hmm. and they're not really getting ideas because they've not set down the context. But if you say um, like, uh, "Hey, my darling wife, um, it's a uh, you know, aren't, aren't we enjoying this wonderful cruise ship that we're on for our like tenth anniversary?" Like that. Uh, so you've got a who, what, and a where. We are husband and wife. We're on our 10th anniversary. We are on a cruise ship. Suddenly, you now have a bunch of ideas because you've narrowed the context so far down. Your scene partner and you have so much to do. Like, you know, where could the scene go? Uh, someone could walk in offering food. Someone could fall off the cruise ship. Uh, they could get in a big argument, but they're stuck on the cruise ship. So, that, you know, they can't leave each other. Like, there's, there's, like, there's so many immediate places that can go. Um, uh, and ideas will naturally come. And because, and, again, this, the people freeze up. They're like, oh, what if I, I have to think of something clever? It's like, no, 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 no. If you know who you are, what you're doing and where you are, there will be a natural logical thing your brain comes up with because you've answered those three questions. So, you know, um, uh, so that's, that's the second rule. And the third rule is just simply chivalry, uh, which is just to allow the other person in your scene to speak and come up with ideas. And if they say something which goes against the idea that you had for the scene, drop your idea and go with theirs. So, you know, I might be starting with the cruise ship thinking, all right, it's like 10th anniversary. Uh, I'm going to announce that I think we should move uh, country and live somewhere else or something. That's that's the scene idea. And then my scene partner sort of turns around and goes, um, I want a divorce. I'm like, okay, well, like, I can't be like, yes, darling, but I really want to talk about moving to Italy. Like, like you know, like, that's not, like, like, you know, like, maybe that could be funny in the sense of like, I'm denying, you know, not listening to my wife or whatever. But I, you know, the, the perfect reaction there is, what? Why would you tell me that on our 10th anniversary cruise ride <laughs> on the first day? No, that we, you could have told me yesterday before we got, we're here for three weeks. So that's that's chivalry, and it's more important <laughs> when you have like three or four people in a scene because if you if you got good improvisers with you, everyone will want to have ideas, and if everyone's talking over the top of each other, you can't build. So it's just basically um having strong strong ideas held loosely is the way I phrase it. So being be willing to drop your weapons and pick up someone else's. So yeah, those are my three rules. I feel so fucking inspired. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! Wow, that's. The, all right everybody you're just, witnessing the birth of a comedian yeah yeah yeah, yeah I don't, I don't no, well it's I, i'm really passionate about teaching it because it's, also, <laughs> it's the cheapest form of theater and um it's horrifically middle class which is just like it's like no it is it's like like seriously the improv scenes are like certainly in london and like and uh, this is like well known like if you go see professional improvisers they're mostly white they're mostly like you know well educated uh and in some sense that doesn't make any sense because improv requires no equipment you can do it anywhere you literally just need like if you've got two people you can do improv uh, even better than like you know six, seven, eight, and you know, like ten turns. Like it requires nothing, just like time and a space, which you know to to a certain extent are you know valuable commodities, which you know are harder to come by. But you don't need fancy equipments or lights or cameras or anything like that. Um, and uh, it, it's frustrating to me, which it, it, it's it's a very in some sense a very simple skill of practice. And once you get the ball rolling, uh, and you know give people some basic lessons, 
um, they can sort of just teach it to themselves because you can just find out what's funny. Like you are the best improviser or the, in the same way that like when you're watching a film, you can know it's a bad film. Like you may not be able to make a good film, but you can tell us something doesn't work yeah. mm -hmm. and you might know what doesn't work. So when you're watching other people improvise, you can sort of like, and you have some notion of like how to do it yourself, you have some experience. You can very quickly self-correct your friends. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, so that's why uh, I, I really like teaching it because you can just, you can, you don't have to like coach people for years. You can like literally give people like a few weeks of lessons and they will carry something with them forever or they can uh, practice enough on their own. So anyway, sorry, I could have about this for ages, but yeah. No, it's fine. It's don't fine. It's called tangents for a reason. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. don't get me started on Morrowind. Please don't. <laughs> no. But it's like, okay, so why don't... You made it sound like there aren't enough... Like there isn't enough diversity um, within this. Yeah, in professional... Yeah, I, look, it is changing. Um, I think... Uh, sorry, that wasn't even... A, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think... It, go ahead. It, it's... Um, I think it became... Uh, it's probably a consequence also because it's generally seen as improv comedy and for whatever reason um, comedy scenes are generally filled with more blokes uh, and that whether that's just because people perceive comedians to be more of a male thing and so it's a self-reinforcing cycle I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist I don't actually know the reasons for these things all I know is that it seems to me that it is a form of theatre which should ostensibly be extremely accessible which seems to only be practiced by a bunch of people who um you know, like I said, I'm middle class and uh, educated, and there seems to be no reason for that, as opposed to like, mm. like you know, a sport like rowing or skiing. You'd be like, yeah, okay, you need to buy a boat. I can kind of see, and you need a river, uh, or you know, to be up a mountain and like ski lifts and stuff. Whereas in problem, like you know, anyone could do this. So, yeah. hmm, interesting. There are there are a lot of good female comedians. For example, I just recently watched 2012. Diane Spencer is her name. Oh yeah. She's pretty good. British, something ginger, a lot of ginger jokes. It was yeah, good. No, look, I'm not, I don't mean to imply that there are no female no, comedians. No, of course. <laughs> you know I mean? I'm I not. Guess. No, yeah, this yeah. is the podcast where we're going to, yeah. we're going to cancel you. Because... I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. So, um... Wow. So, okay, we, d both of us spent quite some time listening to, to your podcast because you have a podcast now. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. What's Thank that, what, what's that like? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been more, it's more work than I anticipated. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I think it, it was one of those things where, yeah, I mean, I had, you know, I had a lot of people messaging me asking if to do some long form content. And, uh, I, I was thinking about making YouTube videos on, as well, but, uh, you know, writing a 20 minute script is just, I don't have the time for that, frankly. Uh, and also I sort of thought, well, podcast, I want to improve my speaking. It'd be a good excuse to speak to a lot of creators who I'm sort of vaguely interacting with. Mm be a good way to potentially promote voices that I think are good and I would like to see more from. So it was, you know, in many ways quite self-interested really. Um, uh, and also I just, it, it was, I sort of made the decision at the time where, you know, a lot of controversy around Joe Rogan was kick kicking off and, uh, you know, uh, climate change and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, I feel like with a lot of things in life, it's really easy to criticize and be like, you know, people shouldn't do this or have an opinion, which is not to say, I, you know, I think Joe Rogan should be canceled or anything like that. But I was like, you know, also, if I really think there are better voices that should be heard, I could potentially like try and facilitate that. Like it might not work, yeah. but like you know, put your money where your mouth is, sort of thing. So, man's had a man has a duty to try. Yeah, exactly. In, I don't know where, but it's a high school quote: "Man has a duty to try." Yeah, man has a duty. I like that. I never heard it. Also, just off the bat, I would like to say that your podcast is, I think, probably the first one in years that I could not listen to at two x speed. 
And I, I, I say that as a compliment. Speak too fucking quickly, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not that, not, that's no. not the problem because I'm used to listening to uh, quick English. It's just there's too much facts, too much thing that are happening. And I need to pay attention. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm used to 2x speed as, uh, as well. Um, when I edit it, I, um, I try and edit it at 1.5 speed, but because Sony Vegas, it doesn't adjust the frequency. So I hear me and the guest in like a really high pitched sort of chipmunk voice. <laughs> nice. I the podcast, which is kind of nice because it sort of like divorces me from listening to my own voice. I'm like, oh, it's not me. It's like a chipmunk who's saying the words that it's I said. It's just this character who's talking about physics. It's yeah. fine. He's trying. He's trying. You know, it's all right. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's good you're doing that, man. It's, it's really good. What, what, was your, what was your opinion of it? Because you just more recently listened to it. I listened to it like a week ago. Yeah, like a full disclosure, I spent the last two hours, I think. One was the first episode of the podcast, then the other one was a YouTube compilation of an hour of words of TikToks that he had posted. Oh, shit. Thank you. Just to run the whole, whole thing. I think you have a follower, subscriber, and whatever else is there <laughs> just because of that. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I like the, the whole the fact about you writing a, what was it, a dissertation? The about uh, the possibility of time travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, my yeah, sort of um, high school, sort of 17, 18-year-old sort of thing. So. Do you know what I was doing when I was 17, 18-year-old? I was playing... I was doing that too, whatever you're thinking of. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also this other thing. That's like, how can that, how can that not be wow? I just, I don't get it. How no, can... like for, in high school for my English, we had an English speci specialization and we had to do like this presentation of something. And what I had to do was just present, f I think, four or five myths of stories of folklore from the British pandemonium. Really? And yeah. yeah and the one thing That's I, cool. the, the only cool thing I tried to do, to do there, there is this myth about a hill. I cannot remember the name of it, but there's this silhouette of a man with a huge cock. And I tried to sneak that in without everybody... Figuring out what's happening. <laughs> nice. Beautiful work. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> One of my finest. <laughs> That's true art. <laughs> when did you have to do that? I didn't have to do any of that. Uh, 12th grade, when we graduated. There's one thing that you had to do for the equivalent of programming that we had, and yeah. one for English. Huh. But I don't remember what the fuck I had. Were you do. in the English intensive whatever curriculum? Oh, no. Then that's why. Okay. Never mind. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, no, sorry, Romanian thinking. Um, yeah, no, I didn't have to do that. But but when I did take my IELTS or whatever the fuck I took to go to study to in England, I the what's supposedly the, the most difficult part, which is writing part two or some shit, I got... So I went to study in the UK to make video games. And, uh, so cool. And in, in the, the exam that I needed, the final thing I needed to actually go to London um on part two writing was was like oh write a you know an essay based on this one sentence or something and the sentence is something like um video games are perceived to be a bad influence on children or some shit like that and like oh i don't know what i think what do you think and i was like boy <laughs> i got a story for you so many opinions on this uh, yeah. i was i just remember i was looked up and i was like there's like a room full of people and all like, You're like writing you and shit. i was just looking at them, I'm like this is the best fucking day ever oh my god <laughs> yeah it was good that was a good day. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. That's great. I can. Yeah, I, I would also have a lot of things to say. Like, I think my opening sentence would be something like, "Historians have confirmed war and violence existed before video games." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As did drugs. 
and most other crimes. <laughs> yeah, Critical Role talk a lot about that. They 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 refer to what was it? The D and D scare, the satanic something, the satanic scare or the satanic whatever. I don't know. It it, it rhymed, I think. But it was relating to like the eighties and D and D and how it was viewed like you're summoning demons or some shit. Was it be satanic panic? That's the one. Satanic panic. Yes. That's weird. This, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, Satan gets involved in all kinds of stuff. So, really, I see it as a blessing. You He's know? a cool dude, man. He's, He's a, a good taste of music. Like, <laughs> hell yeah. yeah. Some Judas Priest, some Black Sabbath. Hell Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> what's, your, what's your go-to? What, music-wise? Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, but there's probably a statistical answer to that with Spotify. Um, I like, in my head, it's ACDC. Like, it's just like classic rock. Um, ACDC. Wow. I like a lot of... Uh, American rock bands, so like Foo Fighters, um, Green Day. I like, yeah, a lot of pump, pop punk I grew up with. So soft spot in my heart for My Chemical Romance. Not say I listen to them all the time, but like will always be yeah. a part of it. Like to enjoy that music. Uh, so yeah, um, I've been listening. I've been getting a lot more into like um, jazz and funk and like um, and stuff like that uh, as I got older. Like um, unironically, there's a band called Lawrence um, who, I, <laughs> who I really like. Uh, and the, their music's fantastic. There's like they're a brother and sister uh, duo in New York, and they they've also got like a, a larger band that plays with them, uh, and they just make incredible music. And they're super young, uh, but they're both extraordinary singers. The sister in particular is just phenomenal, uh, and so uh, been really enjoying their stuff. But um, yeah, also go through like metal phases, like Iron Maiden. I listen to regularly while lifting. So you know, oh man, lifts. Uh, well, yeah, I try. I'm as weak as a kitten, so you know, like you know, I I try. I go, I, I do, I do my, I put in the time. Uh, so, um, wow, yeah. you got a lot of you got a lot of hours in the day. I well, I I have no chill and don't have and don't socialize a lot. So that's uh, those, those are the two, <laughs> no those are the two key ingredients. Um, so. Very key. Wow, that's this. I don't know how you fit that in, man. I don't but know. But again, how you fit again, all that. not a particularly like I'm not a, like I'm I'm still a novice lifter like by any serious like strength standards. Like uh, uh, like the only quote unquote like strength uh, strength feat I can do. Like, I'm, I've got a pretty good weighted chin up. Um, uh, I was just but, about to ask you if you can do a pull up. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. This man could squat and deadlift almost a hundred kilos, but he cannot do, do one. Almost, I can deadlift 140. Oh, 140. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, lost yeah. track. I'm sorry. I, I cannot do one pull up. Oh, I, just, well. I can't. I That's just, the only thing I'm good at, so for what it's worth. So, like, you know. Good on you. I've squatted for years, and, like, you know, five reps of my body weight of around, like, 80, 85 kilos is still hard for me. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's like I've squatted so much. It's, I see, like, some people look at weights, and they can do, like, double the amount I can squat. It's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> no, I just, I've, yeah, no. I, I look at those people the same way, and I'm going to, one day, one day, if my knees don't, don't give in, one day. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one who just looks at it and says it doesn't matter? Like, uh, at the point when you can squ uh, you squat your f full body weight and something above it, like, does it really matter? It doesn't matter. I think it's just that you um, admire someone who's got proficiency uh, and something that you also pursue. Of um, course. It's just yeah. you, you recognize the time, the effort, everything that you put into is not about the squat. I understand that. Yeah. I, I love the memes with the, with the dudes who are like, you know, I'm going to get fit and all the ladies are going to like me and it's just dudes. It's yeah, just, yeah, it's just like dudes are like, oh yeah, you work out. It's like, oh, I've got more muscular men interested in speaking to me. That's all that happened with it. The no, gentleman tell also hoist. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. hoist. Yeah, That's but it's so true. It's so true. Damn. Wow, we talked about Jim. Uh question. Shoot. 
can we have all, all this stone, stoner talk that I had before with people, that, but with somebody that actually knows science? Oh, yeah. I, I told it, you he's going to have a lot more stuff to throw I, at I you. Can, I can attempt to answer any of your questions, but again, not a scientist. I can do my best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to ask you questions that he can actually defin definitively answer to. Cause definitely. Definitely? Definitely. Definitively. I think it's definitively. Or you, you'd say either. <laughs> yeah. I, I think... I think that's what you mean, I right? Definitely answer, definitively answer, but yeah. Yeah. Oh. I uh, can try. Not with that idea. Oh, shit. <laughs> you put, put on the glasses. glasses. <laughs> Woo. Ah, nice. Wait, let me, let me also. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let us continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Multi-universe. What's your take on it? Oh, is it a Doctor S right Strange kind of a thing? Which is just things in peril and you cannot cross each one of them? Or is it just uh, space that is way too far away that we cannot reach ever? Oh, so multiverse. Yeah, so there's a bunch of different definitions. Um, so there's uh, so there's the cosmological multiverse uh, theory, where there's um, which is kind of like what you said with the last part of your statement, uh, which is basically saying that you know uh, there's a observable universe, which is whatever, like nearly 14 billion light years across, whatever, um, uh, or radius rather, and uh, it could be that actually expands 100 billion light years, and um, uh, or maybe it's even you know infinite. In which case, if you go far enough and there's enough stuff. Then eventually you'll go through enough combinations that you'll find a copy of yourself, however far away. Um, uh, so that's one version of the multiverse. Uh, again, it's a sort of like speculative theory, mm -hmm. um, but I think that would be different from the kind of multiverse that we see in either like multiverse of madness or like Rick and Morty type thing, uh, which is meant to be this idea of like a parallel universe. Uh, where that most strongly pops up more recently in science is in the um, uh, Everett interpretation of quantum mechanics, uh, also known as the many worlds interpretation, mm -hmm. also sometimes called the multiverse interpretation, um, for which some people like ardently and strongly believe in. Um, the uh, in, in Oxford, um, where I did my masters in the philosophy of physics, most of the department members there were um, Everettians. They called them Everettians, people who believed in many worlds. And so, mm -hmm. um, uh, with that, uh, the the sort of the tagline behind that really is that um, anything that can happen does happen. And what, what can happen is what's sort of physically possible uh, in a sort of like quantum sense. Uh, and so you like almost unimaginably large numbers of permutations of what could occur, in which case there would be a, a version of me um, in this conversation somewhere where the glasses I'm holding here are, you know, have a blue stripe underneath the thing rather than a, a red because of a series of events that occurred. Um, uh, and so you, you get into some really weird arguments with that. Um, so do I think it's real? I don't know. Um, uh, the, uh, the, I, for a long time, I would have told you yes, because, and I think you can make a really compelling argument for parallel universes existing, uh, because you need them to explain how quantum computers work, which is kind of like a weird thing to say. Um, whereas now I'm a bit more skeptical. Uh, later on, and I can expand on that if you want, but I realize I've been speaking for a while. So well, I kind of agree with you because I also you did something. I hear me louder. No, I okay. Uh, there's this one book I read a couple of years ago. I think it was called The Quantum Momentum or The Quantum Moment. It gets lost in translation because somebody bought it as a present and it was in Romanian. And it, it got me interested because it was a book that had Schrodinger's cat on the cover and right ben, uh, beneath it, Lady Gaga. And like, I need to understand why <laughs> why this is everything. Basically, Good the help. whole book would, would explain the, the history behind quantum physics, how it was discovered and everything else that was put into practice to the far end. But also the, the main uh, gist of the book was how people would misunderstand it and just use quantum as a prefix to everything. Uh, yeah. 
fucking hate that so much. Quantum mysticism is just like, and it's so rife on TikTok as well. It just. Oh, please. Yeah. It made me such a snob. Whenever somebody's saying quantum, like, you have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, it, it completely dismisses everything. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I also, I kind of don't believe the whole multi-universe in that sense of a theory, but it's a nice idea to have. Like, I use that so many times when I'm about to do something that I don't really want to or something that feels difficult. Like, I'm just thinking, somewhere, somehow, this already happened. So the series of events unfolded, I just, and I need to put in motion. He does that. Mm. I, can, I can vouch for that. He that's really that. cool. It's suiting, in a way. Yeah, there's a very similar uh, idea that was created completely independently in philosophy. Um, I can't remember, it wasn't Daniel Dennett, it was, uh, I'll try and remember the philosopher's name, it might come to me, but... It was basically about possible worlds, and it's about um, what it means to um, either for something to like to be caused or to actually choose to do something. Because we we talk about uh, when we say, oh, um, you know, the, you know, there's a version of events where I put on a different like shirt today or whatever. Um, that feels like a tangible, real, meaningful statement. Um, but the, the, in order to unpack that, uh, what um, a bunch of philosophers try to do is like to find well, okay, there's like a, a series of possible worlds which are sort of logically and let's say maybe physically possible. And just because they weren't realized um, means they're sort of they're less real in a sense, but they are they're 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 not completely unreal, um, and uh, that has sort of like interesting parallels. Um, so and and they use that pretty much just as a thought experiment. I don't think they'd claim they would be physically real, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. Isn't that how a lot of science got demonstrated? It was like either someone thought it could be possible through like scientific calculations and then they they went out with like telescopes or whatever and they're like oh yeah it, it checks out isn't that how a lot of einstein got confirmed are you talking about recently the, the scientific method when you have an adn and you tested yeah yeah, yeah. it sounds but like this, it weren't we saying the same thing like there's someone who made it sound properly in theory and then it turned out it was that way or well not in this case with multiple realities but I was trying to draw a yeah, parallel no, no, that it no, might no, happen no, no, at some no, no, point. No, I, I see. So, so, that, so it might be that we're in a universe where there, there's a certain law, or it might be a universe where there's a different law realized, and you have to do the experiment. Uh, and so, like, like it's, um, uh, well, okay, well, yeah, even within quantum physics, right? So, right now, two completely different explanations of how quantum physics work. In many worlds might be true. Um, like, there's a thing called the pilot wave theory might be true. We don't know which one. Perhaps we'll have an experiment which one confirms to be the case. But yeah, right now, either one, in some sense, either one of them is like a possible world, right? Um, from like a like a, a knowledge, we'd like to think that yes, it was always the case that one of them is true. But yeah, I see what you're saying that you have to do the experiment and then it sort of like confirms which world you're yeah. actually living in. So mm -hmm. it's crazy. So. Science. Come on, Science. Ne next stone fraud. Come on. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, sure. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious. He came prepared. I didn't. Uh, Why well, would <laughs> What would you reckon would be the most uh, realizable way of teleporting somebody? Oof. Oh God, that's a um, Dolly the sheep. The way the way I'd no, want to be that's cloning somebody. Oh my bad. The the way I'd want to be teleported would be to have my atoms like like for me to be vaporized and for all of those atoms, those specific atoms be transported to somewhere else and me to be, may, uh, be reconstituted with those particular atoms. Um, uh, for me, that feels like that would be me being teleported. Mm -hmm. um, uh, is that feasible? 
probably, probably not. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The most the most feasible way is probably some form of like I don't know if we fully like find a way to digitize consciousness or something like that and like shove you into like some robot body. Another uh, carbon kind of a uh, scenario. Yeah. Um, but uh, what about time space warping? Time space like wormholes. Al Cuvier drives and all that. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean I, I, ironically, with sort of some of those things, like the physics of like how to do it, like with there's ironically a lot of certainty <laughs> around what you need to do. You just need a lot of energy, and like you need to be able to manipulate stars and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, so do you guys know what the Al Cuvier drivers? Do you have you guys heard of that? Or it doesn't heard... seem familiar. It's uh, the warp drive, right? Yeah, it's a real-life warp drive, basically. Okay. There's a solution to the Einstein field equations, um, which just, the only sort of, like, asterisk on it is that you need uh, negative maths. Uh, and if you want to use, like, the um, the sort of trampoline analogy, sometimes when you see, like, those, uh, it's negative maths, obviously, we sort of, like, lift up the trampoline, and mm -hmm. then you've got some mass uh, that's sort of denting the trampoline in front of you, and that creates, like, a wave, which sort of, like, shifts the thing a lot. A lot. Um, but the original paper where the Alcubia drive was um, created, uh, there's, like, there's so many caveats and for one like it wouldn't be able to stop and like, <laughs> like like there's just like a lot of problems but it's it's a fascinating thought experiment um but yeah i, I unfortunately i don't think there's many pra practical ways of teleporting or space warp drives anytime soon but i would love to be wrong i'd love to be wrong maybe at kardashev level four yeah yeah <laughs> hopefully hopefully yeah hopefully yeah we're not gonna live to see that though yeah well we just need to conquer human nature which seems to be a more unresolvable problem yeah, uh, so we're busy with other political stuff right yeah, now yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we have quarrels. Do you know how my yeah. morning started this morning? I woke up and I was just like, I'll just browse TikTok for like five minutes yeah. on the edge of my bed. And I just at some point, uh, there's something with like the James Webb telescope, and it's like, oh, it's going to be able to look into the stardust and how it creates galaxies. I'm like, oh my god, that sounds so amazing! Like, I love us. And yeah. then, like, an hour later, I'm at work, and it was like, someone's like, oh, this, you know, war's out. And I'm like, what? And it just fucking, it just yeah. threw the hell out the whole excitement I had about the human race. And, yeah. and it's just like instantly thinking about Sagan. It's the whole day I've been thinking about Carl Sagan. Yeah. I missed that. No, I, I, my morning was I didn't even, I didn't get the hour of bliss. I um, woke up, look at my phone, and I had the BBC headline of uh, "Yeah, Russia's Russia's invaded." I was like, "It's fun." Fuck. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess was everybody worse. was a because when I woke up, by the time I woke up, I had like I think it were three chat groups that everybody just war, 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 war. Yeah, I'm just spamming. God damn! I just made eyes. Hey man, if it makes you feel better, we're closer. We're like super duper close. That doesn't make me feel better, dude. <laughs> know, like, you know, you're just... safe on your little island. I mean, we'll shield you. <laughs> yeah, we'll take Thanks, the full man. blow. <laughs> yeah, but you know, have you seen our leader, Boris? I mean, like half the Russians freaking <laughs> live in London. I'm like, you know, that's the actually that's the one thing I'm like, yeah, they probably wouldn't nuke London because there are just so many Russian oligarchs here. I'm like, you know, like, you know. dude, Boris is a joke. Uh, well, yeah, that's how he got to power. It's, he's, I mean, I do not like the guy, and but um, yeah, what's your perception of him? Actually, that's quite interesting. What do you? How do you see him? Well, I when I lived there, it was the other dude uh, who was the mayor of London, and Boris wasn't really so. Like this was what twenty twelve to twenty sixteen. I don't think Boris had much spotlight during those no, years, no, no. so hey. I don't really. I've I've heard she, uh, Theresa was Theresa May twenty twelve. She uh, over after I don't even yes. remember. It's like what what has time has been time been? 
conservatives have been in power a while. All, um, I, all I remember is that was his name, Sadiq Khan was Sadiq the, Khan, the mayor. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, he's what, still mayor. He's still mayor. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's still mayor. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I, I, I was there during the 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 rise of the UKIP and all that. Wow. Like, right. Wow. I was. I remember. I 2016 was a very remarkable year because that's when I got my first game dev job, and that's when Trump got elected, and that's when they voted to get out of the EU, and yeah, then UKIP won, and then it was such a Harambe died. The 2016. Oh, yeah, that, that's what kicked it all off, mate. That was Harambe. Yes, that was January. <laughs> There's a lot of memes on the internet that like that, like 2016, Haramba dying. That's when we went into a different, like, alternate reality. Yeah. <laughs> that's the most convincing theory I've ever heard. Yeah. Dicks out for Harambe. <laughs> yeah. Got any more stoner questions? Uh, do we have enough time? I mean, I'll start rambling about Harambe's dick and shit if you don't, if you don't do that. Oh, shit. That's exciting as <laughs> that sounds. So, two hours. Uh, tell me this. This is a. Curious that I had, but nobody, I got nobody to ask that could actually answer this. Is nihilism just the uh, angry teenager of uh, philosophy? Oh, because um, it feels like that to me, right? It feels like a, a young child who realizes that there's no point in anything and he's just grumpy, made a pouty face, like, mm, I'm not going to do anything yeah. and just be sad. That's like the whole thing feels to me. Uh, I, I think it can be. So to me, the word nihilism, when I hear it used um, in like most contexts, is that sort of like internet meme of like someone who's just like, fuck this, I can't be fucked. Um, uh, and I think it often gets associated with those emotions for a reason. Like I don't think that that association is completely unjustified. Mm -hmm. um, strictly speaking, there are like different types of nihilism. Uh, uh, and so if you're being like a philosophical pedant, which let's face it, that's really like synonymous term of just being a philosopher in most cases. Um, <laughs> you know, most philosophers probably be like, no, what nihilism is, is like, you know, an, epi an epistemological position to say that actually. Of course. So, um, yeah, so so I, I would I would broadly agree with you in that what I think most people think of nihilism is I think what nihilism actually is probably not I think actually it tends to be like more of like a, an edge lord like skeptical type position in philosophy, uh, which actually like has some useful insights. But yeah, I think for most people it's a way of sort of um, justifying uh, an emotional sort of like state they're in around like you know what the fuck what the fuck's the point of all this why why bother like I don't see any I'm not getting any positive emotion I'm not having any wins. Um, uh, I don't really know where I'm going. You know, the world looks like a crazy, terrifying mm -hmm. place. Um, oh, and also, and and then the way I see it is, yeah, those those sort of get locked in by by views like Nardis, and we're like, oh yeah, and also there's no way of proving that I'm wrong. Therefore, <laughs> so um, yeah. So I was just going to intervene to that, like being very out there. But you know, I always had that question of like, why don't you just like you know the the theory of pessimism from 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 True Detective, right? It's just mm. like why don't you just fucking kill yourself then? Like, if there's no point in anything, then what's holding you back if it's uh, so bleak? Biological safeguards. Yeah, but then <laughs> then isn't it a hypocrisy to call yourself a nihilist if you're not willing to say fuck it all? No. I I'm mean, just going on a stretch here. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to call somebody who doesn't want to unalive themselves weak, but you're just not strong enough to surpass <laughs> those <laughs> instincts. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think, I think, <laughs> see I think, what I'm I, saying. Yeah, I, I think Mike, you got a really good point though, in the sense of um, like if you're taking the sort of form of nihilism of like, uh, there's no point, I may as well not be here, and then your retort is like, okay, well, why are you still here? Yeah, like, you have to concede like there are either either there are some rational points that you haven't considered, 
or like you're not a wholly rational being. Like there are some irrational parts yes. of you. And like I think that latter part is the thing that we all have to accept. Um, that you know we're not mm. like straight up logical things. And I, I, like you know there are lots of interesting sci-fi stories where you know you train an AI and say, all right, I want you to minimize suffering. And it goes, oh shit! Like if I just eliminate all the humans now, the suffering's capped. If uh, humanity exists for thousands, thousands of years, that's untold levels of suffering that'll exist. And so you know we're very. It's one of those weird things where we're sort of like, well, we probably would expect it's better that life exists, even if it exists in pain mm. uh, and has a lot of misery, than doesn't exist at all. Obviously, not everyone arrives at that conclusion because some people do unalive themselves. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, life's not a wholly rational thing, and um, I think. I think this is probably where, you know, Jordan Peterson, the very uh, talked about man that he is, where he talks about sort of like nihilism and all that, where he, he has a sort of point where he's like, you know, it is sort of incompatible with life because, yeah, if you do just try and think in only those rational terms and you're convinced that there's nothing else, then, yeah, you, you're constantly from part of this question of like, why am I here? And it's like, well, you know, there may not be a logical answer to that, mate, and that's all right. Like, you know, not everything, you're not just, a logical Yeah, creature, just move on, good. just go on with it. Yeah, yeah, like it is. I know, but I, I feel like we felt that. I felt that today. I'm not sure if you guys did, but like you know, I'm I'm doing the fucking cybersecurity job. I'm scrolling through the news. I'm like, fuck, you know, this war in Europe. Like, you know, what the fuck am I doing here? I'm like, you know, oh, like, yeah. like, and I, you know, have that Definitely. profound sense of you know the the you know, stoke practice of memento mori. You know, you could die and all that. I try and do that anyway, but it felt really profound today. Of thinking, man, in a week there is some version of events. We're talking about possible worlds where you know Putin is you know ready to use nukes if like people intervene too much. And in a week, like I'm not here, or like you know something like I don't think that will happen. But you know there is there are there's some yeah. well that happens, and so I'm like shit. Okay, like, you know if I if, if uh, truly try and think if if in a week, you know I wasn't going to be here if I knew this was all going to be dust and there wasn't really much I could do about it. Like what am I going to do? And eventually you sit there, you feel a bit sad, you feel a bit somber, you message a few friends, and you're like fuck, I just got to go about my day. I got to eat, I got to keep going. I've got to speak to these cool guys this evening. Like you know like like and that's kind of. In some sense, I think a courageous thing. Like I think that is what life is. You like you just you, you keep moving. You are a human being. That's what you do. So that was a long and probably um, uh, indulgent. No, that answer. was that yeah. was beautiful. That just that just confirms to me personally <laughs> that you're human. That no, well, yeah, <laughs> but that therapy works <laughs> because those are the conclusions I'm coming at from therapy. Um, but I had the exact same thing today. Like I was at work. And I was going with my team lead into a meeting and we're talking about shit. And like, he was the one who told me like, oh, you know, they're going to war and whatever. They went to war. Uh, and and we're talking about like some fucking angular table in some fucking application that like five people use in a factory or whatever. Programming and bullshit. We're, yeah, we're talking about those. And we're like trying to like, how do we fix that shit? And, and, and then we just we look at each other and we have this moment of like, they're fucking, they're going to war and shit. Nukes might happen, and we're like fucking about with some tables and some applications. Like, what? What is the? What the fuck are we doing with our lives, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then, but then, exactly like you said, like the next thing is like I could choose to worry about it and solve nothing, or I could just accept that life is not fully rational, and whether I die or not, I still gotta keep moving forward and just do what i do because you know doing what i did so far didn't make a dent in in whatever putin invading or not right so it's probably not going to make any dent going forward so might as well do my own thing that's completely and i do i do yeah. think you can it, it can sort of temper your insights because you might walk away from that you say like you know what i have done so far is meaningless but perhaps there is something I could do that like would better help. And that might be, you know, like voting for a different party or like, you know, discussing yeah, yeah. politics or whatever like that. So I, I don't think you come back with nothing, but yeah, like 
uh, and the, the thing I love about being human is, in some sense, that decision is made for you. Like even like, and obviously people there are people who are depressed and like you know truly can't get out of bed. But it, it, even when I was on the, like the worst days of my depressions, like I still went to work, I still ate, I still did all these things. It's like you're kind of forced to, and eventually through that motion, if you're lucky, like you're you're forced to like rediscover like oh actually this is what it means to be human. Like you you persist in spite of this like horrifying yeah. eternity that like surrounds us. Um, and like, you know, also we all know we're going to be dust eventually anyway, like, like everything I do is in some sense eventually will mean nothing. And whether that happens on a shorter or longer time scale, does that matter? Like maybe it does, maybe it'll change a little bit, but on some sense, I'm still, still got to do something. So, yeah. so here I have a curiosity. What's the, what's the difference between nihilism and absurdism? Absurdism. Absurdism. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, um, basically it's, a uh, some, to some extent, like um, how it's dressed up. Uh, with nihilism, I think nihilism doesn't necessarily offer a solution um, uh, in the sort of like typical one. It says like life is meaningless uh, and um, this is like, you know, something you, can, you sort of must contend with. There is like a sort of more modern sort of version of optimistic nihilism where it's like, hey, this is actually a good situation. It means that you're not beholden to any big creator. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, is a, this, this is an open world game. You can go with any build. Um, you know, any build's viable uh, and, uh, you know, have fun with it. I think absurdism, I like absurdism because it feels a bit more poetic and um, uh, it's sort of dressed up. And, and like, I think it, it reflects the feeling like we were just talking about, like, you know, the sort of like this ridiculousness of having this meeting and talking about this is, this is absurd. This is yeah. what? Um, and actually sort of leaning into that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I made a joke in the videos of like uh, absurdism is nihilism with a sense of humor and style. Like I, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, it's just skipping over a few points, but I don't think it's entirely incorrect. Um, uh, I think absurdism does make some claims around, um, uh, I think what, what absurdism has to do, which nihilism doesn't have to do necessarily, is explain why uh, embracing a religion or some form of like, quote unquote, false meaning, false meaning isn't better than embracing the absurd, which the way Camus writes, he's like, yeah, you sort of make your own transient meaning and that's, you know, like, the challenge unknown is enough to fill a man's heart and, and all that, one, one must imagine a system is happy. It's like, well, if I get meaning out of, I don't know, like farming or doing day-to-day -day stuff, is that why is that better than me getting meaning out of prayer and devoting myself to a deity who I might choose to believe in? Mm. Um, it feels to me like there's potentially a slightly arbitrary difference there. Um, but that's like, um, again, probably just me quibbling. Uh, I'm sure there's a good answer to that. Reddit yeah, showed me well. This is the exact answer that Reddit gave me. I think we talked yeah. about it at some point. We did. I think I told yeah. you the same thing. I just need a confirmation. Of course. There's a basic, basically, it's just the. I have read it. Hello, Reddit. <laughs> this guy has just read it. R slash trees. Yeah. Uh, no, R slash philosophy in this case. Yeah. Because uh, it's basically the, the same. R slash Eli 5. <laughs> or that. Or that. It's just the two, uh, both sides of the coin when you in interpret the phrase that nobody cares or nobody yeah. gives a fuck. Okay. I guess nobody gives a fuck. Oh my God. Nobody gives a fuck. Or yeah. nobody gives a fuck. Oh my God. Nobody gives a fuck. I can do whatever. Yeah. I I always viewed it like my hunch was always this like as you said nihilism with nihilism, but then absurdism just felt like you know both of them were like there's no meaning to anything and you know there's no point and whatever. But then uh, absurdism goes one extra step of like which absolves you from you know just do whatever. It's like isn't it isn't it more fun that there isn't? It's absurd. Embrace that shit, right? There's no meaning to anything, so you can go ahead and do it just in spite of it. Just because, you know, people think that there should be, just because there isn't, go fucking have fun. Go nuts. 
Yeah, that, I like the spite of it. Um, do you know how Camus died? It's like quite no. Uh, so he um he died in a car crash with a friend uh, who and he decided to take a car trip with his friend, but he had a train ticket to go to the location, uh, and the friend crashed the car and he died with the train ticket in his um his trouser pocket. So he, he was supposed take... to take the train, but he yeah. took a oh yeah. that is absurd. So, yeah, I know. It's, it's one of those weird. It's just like like yeah, it's like weirdly obviously tragic, but um, poor guy staged. It was staged. It was staged. <laughs> Stage. Fuck yeah. you, I'll <laughs> show you absurd bitch. He's, yeah, he just ran ideas for books. He was like, well, I'm just gonna be in character. <laughs> How old was he when he died? I think it was like I, I want to say 46, but that might be entirely. Well, he incorrect. still had a g- couple of years. So, um, yeah. A few good years in him, especially when since you mentioned car, I mean it must be it's more recent than you know, dying of some stupid disease that could have been prevented. So probably yeah. had a few good years in him. I sometimes wonder that it is interesting to see philosophers uh, how their um, views change as they get older because uh, you know I feel like it's easy to write about death and like the eternal when you're in your youth. You're like, yeah, it's fine, guys. Just like, don't worry about it, whatever. Yeah. And then like you're like you hit eighty and like, oh, maybe oh. there is a god. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I get that. I get that with my granddad. Like, I I I wrote down a. I didn't really have much of a relationship with my granddad, even though I lived with, well, I grew up with him, but we, uh-huh. it wasn't really, he was just always there, but that's kind of the extent it was. And now since it's just me and him, um, I, uh, I've had been forced to spend a lot of time with him. And there are a few really memorable things that he said that I was like, you know, wow, you're capable of thinking like that or having these thoughts. And because like, you know, he was all the stories I knew before I was born was he, he was an alcohol, alcoholic that would beat up my mom and my, my grandma. So right. like, yeah, I, it was never my experience with him since I'm I'm alive. You know, since I was born. He's been super chill, just there. Nothing, you know, not nothing noteworthy or mentionable. Uh, but then he just, and he said something similar. He said, like, there used to be a time when I knew everyone, and now I don't even know who I am. And and I was driving, and I was like, what the fuck did you just, that's, I'm I'm going to remember that, because that's amazing. Yeah. And it, it's the same principle. Like, he started crying at the time, and he was just like, you know, it, 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 the context was that we were driving back to the village where we grew up with, uh, grew up in, and on our way back, we passed, like, a couple of villages to the city, and he was like, oh, you know, pull over here. I remember some guy from like back into like the whatever, the 50s or something. And oh, we used to be good friends and drink together. And like, I want to go and visit him. And we went there trying to search for some guy in a village. Turns out he died a couple of years ago. And then, uh-huh. he, you know, he got really sad. And he was like, oh, you know, I don't even remember. Like, you know, I just rem- I used to remember everyone and know everyone, you know, in the sense of like his whole worldview. Which at the time was obviously a lot more limited and like, you know, no internet access or something like that. And now he's probably so overwhelmed and most of everyone that he knows or knew died and it's just him. And now he does. I love the fact that not only did everyone around him die, he has questions about who he is because of that. Mm. I like that. that. Well, I don't like it, but you know, that's, that's such an interesting thing. Yeah, it's affecting, definitely. Um, yeah, well, I think, you know, you're... The people you spend time with, your friends and your history and your environment, they all ground you. And again, it's the who, what, where, right? It's the it's it tells you who you are. It's all improv. Uh, uh, it's, <laughs> it's all it's all improv. Holy shit! It's like the it's like the uh, astronaut meme. Wait, you mean telling me this is improv the entire time? Um, <laughs> always yeah. has been. Always has been. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Yeah, like uh, so, um, and that, I mean, you know, I mean, you guys probably experience that. Like as you get new friends, you get changes who you, how you think about yourself. Like I um, 
when, you know, when I'm feeling low. Like, I, I'm really lucky. Like, my closest friends, most of them I've known since I was about 10 or 11. Uh, uh, and, you know, we like, you get a lot of good shit talking after a couple of decades of knowing people, right? And so, um, and, uh, and, you know, I have, I have other friends that, like, work and stuff like that. I'm, like, very professional all that. But then, you know, when I'm with friends, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is who I actually am. Just like, <laughs> but if I didn't have that, if I didn't have that, like, recentering all the time, I'd, I think, you know, I'd, I'd drift into even more identity crises. I mean, do you, do you feel that way as well? Or? In a sense, but, uh, I mean, let me think about it just for one second. Because you started mentioning that you, most of your friends are old friends. I don't really have that many old friends. Oh, you have a whole thing about that with your old friends and how it kind of drifts I'm sorry, apart. I have a whole thing. Yes, hey, whole thing. Hey, do you want to share your whole thing? Yeah, I have to share your whole thing. Oh, wait, did you, Can I, I have some it? of your whole thing? I did. <gasps> I need to be reminded about the whole thing. It's a different topic. Let me finish this one and then, mm, yeah, okay. sure. Of course. Uh, so there's not a lot of old friends that I have. I think the oldest friend that is still a friend with me, we have uh, grew up in the same building. We went to the same school, same high school. We lived in the same dorm room. He now lives in uh, Switzerland. Yeah. And he's been moving countries for the last I don't know, couple of years. It does have that sense of whenever we meet up, we're still like just as friends. It mm. doesn't matter that we only see each other like a couple times a year. But at the same time, we we grew up a bit different, but ended up having the same values and mm. mindset and whatever. It feels like I'm talking to a reflection of myself, not that much with a, a root of myself. Yeah, yeah. I got you. And yeah, but yeah, it does. I, I definitely can. I saw it a couple of times in my life. There's this one saying, quote, whatever it was, that you're the uh, sum or the sum, the average of the average five, people of the, five the, mo the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. yeah. And I can definitely vouch for that, depending on whoever I was spending the time at that specific moment. Yeah, Especially we're horrifically like, sponge like. It's very yeah. scary. I feel like I'm quite Im not really impressionable, but it has like I, I can feel that happening. In a way. I'm a social chameleon. I I just drift. I'm an, what, what did I call myself? An anti-social extrovert? Yeah. I, I guess that, that would be accurate for me. So pretentious. <laughs> I'm not pretentious. Oh no, did we lose him? Did you froze? Did you froze? You're back. You're here. You're here. Oh, you, you survived fooling. Is that what you mean? Uh, we hear you, but you're not moving. Um, why am I doing this here? Oh, oh, he thought of it before he's, me. He's rejoining. Smart lad. Rejoining. Okay. Yeah. Earthling, do Jesus you hear Christ. us? Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. 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 What happened? Oh. Okay. Everything's sorry. on fire. It's bloodshot. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's bloodshot red. This is fine. I have this is fine. I am the this is <laughs> you fine. Have, you've transcended. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck were we talking Sorry, about? Uh, you were talking Asian about time. you being a uh, antisocial extrovert, and then I had a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were saying something about that, but we didn't hear you. Uh, I was I was basically asking you for more detail on that. I was basically just saying like, do you mean like you don't enjoy socializing, but you like like um, your teeth through it? Or? I'm really good at public speaking. I'm really good at holding presentations. I'm really good in front of a crowd. I tend to, to be the center of attention or at least attract attention upon myself. I'm really comfortable with that, 
but then my energy level gets depleted. So I'm, I'm either like, I want to be with everyone and whatever. And then I get to know the people and I'm like, I don't like anyone. I just want to go home and jack off and whatever, watch TV shows yeah. or something. But I'm like, it's weird. It's a really weird balance. But that's not the point. The point, what I was trying to 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 make was the the social chameleon thing that like, because of that, like, I have different masks that I wear with different people. And I behave in slightly different. It's always me. Oh, you're not red anymore. There you go. Yeah, found a way. It's found a way. It's always me in a weird sense, but I can behave differently. I think is that accurate? Feels accurate. Yeah. All right. But that, okay. I mean, I, I mean, not to not to question your identity of a social comedian, but is that not? Like, wouldn't it be weird if you, I mean, you surely you behave, of course you behave differently, like, around your parents versus your colleagues versus your yeah. friends, is that? Obviously, yeah. It'd be, it'd be stranger if you weren't, if you didn't, like. Probably. I've met people who are incapable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, are you embarrassed by them? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be like that? <laughs> so. I, I call them, they just feel tactless. Tactless, well, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, yeah, I, I think for a while I, I, I would definitely like, I would yeah describe myself like a social chameleon as well. Um, uh, but it wasn't like in a coping way. I, I thought it was like quite nice. Um, I, I always saw it as a strength that you, I could get on with a variety of people. Um, uh, um, I, you, I, again, I think I still had this very naive view that ultimately in, in my heart of hearts, I feel like most people I meet were on the same team. Like most people are just trying to get through the day, you know, yeah. Like have a good time, avoid pain. Like you know, not do any wrong things. I think most people are just like trying their best, you know. Um, and if you meet people where they're at, just with the respect. Like I feel like most people are g- genuinely quite good, or like, or good if they're given the opportunity to. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, changing, you know, how I approach that just seems like you know, people play different styles of music. You changes change the style. I have a mate who is exceptional at that. To the point where you know i'm pretty sure i could like just drop him in somalia and he would be like you know just like you know with mates and they'd be like running a pirate ship within like two days he's just like just phenomenal but also you could drop him into the white house and he would be negotiating like he's just he's that good he's wow. that good um uh and um he he has the issue though where and i think this can sometimes come, across, come with it where he sometimes wonders what he thinks where if you take it too far where because he's very he's so good at mixing with crowds particularly diverse political opinion and i think a lot of what actually yeah, think about it out loud now i think i guess it depends on what motivates it because for me changing high approach it does come from that place of really just trying to connect with people understand where they're at but i think for him it some of it and he's told me this too is it's the fear of being disliked uh, <laughs> and it's very different motivation um yeah. uh, and if you're just trying to avoid being disliked then it's much easier to not have any viewpoints Whereas if you're just trying to connect with people, then it's easy to sort of just gently either be like, oh, it's not time for me to express this here, or I can just like gently ask why they think that. So That's how I survived so long on this earth. Because I, I was a lonely child who tried to be funny, to be liked. So I, I did impersonations of, of cartoons and shit. And then I remember there was a time in my life, up to somewhat recently, when I was at, I, was like, I had this identity crisis of like, what do I think? Because if I'm with this group of people, I can, I can, I have arguments and I can talk and discuss something that's favorable to them. But then with this other opposing group, I can have do the same thing for them just to blend in and to be good at that. And only recently in therapy and shit like that, I'm starting to sort of define my own, like, who the fuck do I want to be? 
kind of a situation. So I can I can relate to your friend. I probably yeah. wouldn't do well in the White House because I'm too I don't give a shit. But yeah, <laughs> I I can't comedian through that. I'd have to be very upfront. Like, oh, yeah, no. Joe, wake up! Ugh, such an easy meme. <laughs> <laughs> what? I can't hear you. I'm 80 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but he's old. <laughs> Man, uh, he's uh, he's seventy nine. He's seventy nine. I think you're right. Seventy nine. Jesus. Seventy nine. Yeah. Uh, well, Peyton's sixty nine. So that's. And I was looking at the ages today. So. Oh my god. Uh, how do we? How do you translate this? What he has an original copy sign of the Bible. That's how old he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> original signed version of the Bible. The the guy after the fall of communism, the first uh, president that we had in multiple elections. Uh, he's still around, and there, the, just the whole internet is full of memes of like, you know, he he grew up with dinosaurs and shit like that. He's really fucking old. He's like ninety something, and he's still kicking, kicking it. He's still alive. He's still doing shit. Weird, weird yeah. dude. Like, Noam Chomsky, I think, is like ninety two or ninety three, and he's still just fucking pushing that leftist philosophy. I'm fucking. He's like, he's on fucking live streams. I'm like, yes, Noam, <laughs> keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> Dude, I thought Lemmy Kilmister was still going to live a, a bunch of years. I thought he was going to just keep doing speed, drinking Jack and singing and fucking. And then he died at like 69, 70-something, early 70s, I think. Yeah. He did seem like he would. He was going to still had a few good years in him, but I guess the speed caught up with him. <laughs> yeah, he packed a lot of life in those years, I'm sure. So. Glad, glad I got to see him live before he died. That was that was an, a, quite an achievement. Yeah, I've seen ACDC live, so um, I saw him live back in I think 2013, 14, and I was like, "Yes, good. This is this is important." <laughs> Bucket list. Yeah, for sure. Do they still yeah. tour? I'm not sure if they do anymore. It was the funniest show though, because you had like it was a mix of like really like old rockers, like really old leather, like clearly they've been following ACDC around for like 20 years, yeah. and their kids. So like it was like a weirdly like family show, uh, and so they had like like you know they're like ten and eleven year olds there like and then it was like me and my friend like twenty years old there being like we're in the middle, yeah, so <laughs> average, yeah, <laughs> damn. Any more like that? No, I was thinking like, what would you reckon will be the kids' age when we were uh, in that place in Bucharest when I went to the mosh pit? Because that was my first mosh pit. That was your first mosh pit? That was oh, my first mosh sweet pit. summer child. I know. That was two years ago. Yeah. That was two years ago, yeah. He had his first mosh pit two years ago. Change Can the man. Change the man. <laughs> I grew up chanting words of the world and mosh pitting when I was 16. I think, yeah. Born input. Nice. <laughs> Got any more stoner uh, questions? Two. Oh they, shit! They, they, that were prepared before. Man came prepared. Reload. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's not that much of a stoner question. This is a curiosity that I have. How is it in the scientific community? What's the best idea we have about consciousness at this point? Oh, that's a good one. Oh god. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The heavy any, guns. I don't. Honestly, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. Uh, I think. Um, Probably neuroscience has. I, I was because I was looking up researching this on the because um, of the 
video philosophical zombies recently i was looking up to see if there was any like new philosophers who have written about that i think there are a couple of um neuroscientists who are pretty convinced that uh they are like sort of like understanding like fundamental like neural circuits which like are, are linked to it and like you can prove that so like bugs are conscious to a certain degree using that um the but honestly if there's anything at the forefront uh that's changed recently i don't know the, the best work i've read on consciousness has been from douglas uh, douglas hofstadter who's still around have you heard of him never he wrote heard a book called he wrote, he wrote a book called Gödel escher buck and he's um it's a it's a very long, strange, and fascinating book. So he connects the um, the work of those three quite different individuals as a way of trying to imagine what consciousness is as like a strange loop, basically. And he's also got a book called The Strange Loop. Uh, and he was a mathematician, a physicist, uh, a philosopher, uh, uh, and he sort of like considers the nature of consciousness through this lens. But um, it, it's 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 very hard to explain because like some of the pages of the book are just art. Or like stories, um, trying to like explain this concept. Uh, so my answer really is I don't have an answer for you, but I've mm -hmm. read some interesting books about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I would reckon nobody has a good answer for it. But on the on the point that bugs, you can prove that they're uh, conscious up to a point. I think I don't remember the name of the book, but I had it that on my desk. For... Like it might be wrong. Like, it but might again, be, but even... there's also this one book I've started reading, never finished it, that says there's varying degrees of consciousness. I mean, you can have something like a dog in a sense. It is conscious that he knows where his body ends and what he can do with it and how he can interact with the world, right? There is some sort of a consciousness in doubt. Not yeah. in a... This is the book I, yeah. I realized I had it like, within reach. Good old Asher Bach, so... Uh, I know that I'm going to subject you to it. Here. Um, what is a self, and how can a self come out of inanimate matter? This is the riddle that drove Douglas Hofstadter to write this extraordinary book. In order to impart his original and personal view on the core mystery of human existence, our intangible sensation of I-ness, Hofstadter defines the playful yet seemingly paradoxical notion of a strange loop and explicates this idea using analogies in many disciplines. Uh, and so he uses the mass from the logician Kurt Gödel. Uh, and then um, the sort of like various different dialogues and the patterns of music from Bach and the art etc. to sort of like illustrate this idea. And um, yeah, this is just generally, it's up there as um, like one of those like out there, extremely original scientific and philosophical books. So for instance, I mean, terrible people listening to the podcast, but like there are pages where he's just like going through logical proofs um, line by line. Um, but then he's also got pages where he's just like considering repeating art and patterns. So it's a very, very, like, it's an extraordinary, creative, um, fascinating book where he's really just trying to, like, come in at the consciousness from all angles. Because um, uh, obviously we're in this weird situation where we're trying to understand it while also being subject to it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, if you're into that, you probably fucking like that book. So. <laughs> uh, put a name of it in the, in the chat after we're done. Just so yeah. I don't forget about it. I met it. the guy as well. He spoke at Cambridge. I was like, he gave a talk. And, um, was, wow. Amazing. Super humble as well. He was basically just like, yeah, I tried to do all these things. Uh, it, like, his, the story of his life was basically, he went, yeah, so, like, I didn't really know, I, I like, didn't have any friends at school. So, like, I played around with numbers, and I found this, like, really cool bit of number theory, uh, which I didn't do anything with. And then I tried to become a mathematician, but I wasn't good enough. So then I tried to become a theoretical physicist, but I wasn't good enough. So then I became an experimental physicist. And then I was working on these like crystals or whatever. And it turns out they followed the same pattern as the number theory that I discovered ages ago. So I was able to solve it really easily. 
uh, I wrote this book, it got a prize, which made it easier to get, write other books and make more money, and here I am. <laughs> That's basically his wow. talk. I was they... like, <laughs> Clearly, incredibly smart, like like incredibly humble. So please have him on your podcast. Yeah, I'll try. Yeah, he's like seventy six or something like now. See, I'm not sure if he's still doing talks. I mean, if if, if Biden can be up there running a country, he can talk for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was the name of the book? uh, Godel Escher Bach. So I don't uh, know how to spell that. That's why I asked him. I know. G o d e l um comma e s c h e r comma b a c h. We have it. Found it. We has it, Douglas Hofstadter. Nice, sweet. And a total golden braid. I'm curious, what's your what's your opinion on Infinite Jest? Infinite, Je- I I haven't read it. I've read some of it. I haven't finished it. I need to finish it. <laughs> Either did I've he. got the I've got the audiobook, um, and my friend finished it by listening to the audiobook, and I feel like that's cheating because the whole point of Infinite is. Jest is that you should suffer it, while it reading. It definitely is. I'm we had to do this visibly. Nice. It's that's for later. We had a we had a uh, friend who was at the podcast a couple of months ago, and he he yeah. sold the idea of the Infinite Jest, and I was so hung, uh, catched by it. I I bought the book, I started reading it, and I stopped somewhere around page two hundred because it's I, I don't like it. I honestly don't like it. It's the worst possible introduction to Foster Wallace. It's the worst possible like yeah. I know because everybody says such great things about it, but it's like it's just a couple of kids at a tennis high school like. I don't care. I honestly don't care. And then I, I read a couple of reviews, and a lot of people said it's just the fact that it's long, and that's it. And the guy who was really fascinated by it, he said he watched a, a lot of the author's talks and speeches, and he was on everything. And I feel like if I have to do all this extra work to enjoy the book, the book is not that good. I'm sorry. Hmm. That, and that's that's and that's really good. That, that's like a, a valid criticism. Like so, David Foster Wallace, he spoke a lot about. Uh, and it, it, the point I think he was trying to make with that book and probably made it far too aggressively was uh, he was really concerned about this culture in uh, an American, um, like, well, American culture, but sort of culture in the West generally about uh, art not requiring any effort to be consumed. And uh, that uh, we were sort of becoming, uh, as a society, and he was writing about this in the 90s, so it was quite prophetic, um, uh, less used to having to put in any focus or any time to really like get some satisfaction out of um, that and most of his work was around TV, and that's really the sort of the idea around Infinite Jest, right? That program mm-hmm. where people are going to watch until they die. Uh, and <laughs> so, you know, now we're working on sort of metaverse and VR, and you know, all these addictive like apps and TikTok and shit. Um, the ideas he had, he was just so on the money. But yeah, Infinite Jest, I I've not enjoyed his fiction as much as I've enjoyed his nonfiction. His nonfiction is for me like some of my favorite writing ever. So um, if you would possibly ever give him another chance like he's got two collections of essays one's called consider the lobster the other is called um i think a supposedly fun thing i'd never do again um uh yes that's correct uh and um they're both just spectacular writing he basically reinvented the non-fiction essay genre um and yeah he's, okay he's i will definitely give that one a shot and so and lots of those essays are online by the way you don't even have to buy the book like hang on i actually have like Again, I'm going to submit this, but hey. Yeah, it's fine. Sure. Go for it. He does know where Romanians I can find anything online. Oh, yeah, true. So um, I, I was telling him while you were looking for the for the book, you don't know where Romanians I can find anything online, even if it's not supposed to yeah. be there. Yar. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so which one? Which um, So he's got two collections, would I suggest? Um, uh, which one? So Consider the Lobster... Or supposedly fun thing. Or supposedly fun thing. This is the one where 
yeah, it's like it's hard to without sounding pretentious. Yeah, go for consider the lobster. Uh, it's it's like I don't know. So like okay, so here's 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 the so here are some of the essays, right? So he has one where he's like got an essay called um, uh, Authority and American Usage, right? And so this is a uh, sixty-two page essay about essentially a grammar usage book and how he basically just does this deep dive into um, the surprising like war between different grammar books and the uh, who gets to define how American language is used and what the proper context for it's being used. And it's a really, it's one thing that I would, I, I firstly, I never would have even begun to think about, um, mm. but he does it. He, he's, he's clearly just incredibly smart and d- goes so deep into it. And, yeah, I'm I'm really not making any sense here. I'm not really offering any insight whatsoever. But yeah, I would say read if you had to okay, you know what? <laughs> Takes ten minutes to write this. Look up online just the essay, consider the lobster. That that essay. Read that. Okay. That that's uh, yeah. Um it's a good piece of writing. So I've heard we'll do that. You've heard of it. Yeah, I have heard he of heard it. He hears of it. It's it's it has to be good. I've heard of I've heard of Infinite Jest before you as well, because I I went through this like phase of like, oh top non-programming books to read as a programmer or some shit like that there was Hmm. one there was one called creativity inc by some guys at disney and it's really short um, and apparently it's really good it's just was it ed catmull was the author i think oh catmull yeah the the guy who made the spline he invented the spline yeah catmull something catmull rom i think it's two dudes they invented the whole whatever the algorithm to write the spline in video games anyway uh I have a book here that I got that I told you to remind me last time we recorded, but I forgot. And I thought this might be a good opportunity to bring it up. It's called House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. And a, I got it because I have a friend who's really into books. And apparently this is really fucking read. It is all over this book. So she was like, oh, it must be good. But it 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 it's very Reddit. There are pages with just one word. There are pages. I'm going to show this to, to you. It's just, it's like oh, scribbles. Oh, yeah. And then some of it is like this. And then there, look, it, look yeah. at that. Just like, this one's just blank. Yeah. And then there's yeah. like shit on it. It's, it's, oh, oh, <laughs> that Wait. was, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, there was, there was one. Where is it? Oh, it's here. Look at, look at that. What the fuck is it's that? diagonally it's written. diagonally. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. so you got a, a full body experience. Yeah, and since you started reading Infinite Jest, and I got this, I was like, maybe you'd like to read it. <laughs> You're not gonna read it, right? Of course. Well, dude, I've, it's it's uh, been three months since I started Brand New World, which is a two hundred something page book. I'm just shit at allocating time to do anything, especially reading. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, uh, that is the sort of like the um. The difficulty I think with reading because the ones which like the page turners that compel you to read which you don't need to make time for because they demand it tend not to be the highbrow stuff which you can like get social yep. credit for right so. yeah to this day my favorite book is is uh, Hackers Heroes of of a New Revolution or the New Revolution by Stephen Lev- Levy Levi something Stephen Le- Levy oh, nice. Levi guy is a, like he's a journalist he's like a tech journalist or some shit and he wrote this book and he basically just went and wrote in a very uh i don't even know it's it's not very like hard facts right it's not like this happened and that happened it's more like written as a story it's written as a story but for the view of all the people involved 
from like the 50s or whatever, from the first very first computers up to 80 something. It it ends right after the GNU movement and Richard Stallman. But he went and interviewed all these people and talked with them, and he wrote it in such a in such a fucking beautiful way as a story. Like there's this whole chapter where he talks about how they on the first computers when they had them at at, at uh, MIT. Uh, and then one guy managed to write like a Beethoven or some shit or a Mozart on it to, to make, make it sing. And the way he, he wrote, it's so well written, dude. It's so, it, he just describes how they, you know, it's like, oh, and then they all gathered in this room and they were looking at this cold hearted machine play the most beautiful and majestic sound that they've ever heard. And, and shit like that. And I'm just reading and I'm like, it took me like two days to read like a 400 page book. And I'm like, I love this. This is great. This is so captivating the way it's written. It's not this one though. This is I know, shit. I know. This is probably I shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's shit in all over the places, all the places, all directions. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, it's. I agree. Like, I, th- I think there's. We don't give books enough credit for being compelling um, when they are. Uh, but I think the only, the only book that's recently, I, I recently, I, uh, the last year or so, really got into John Steinbeck novels. Um, for him. Uh, so he wrote East of Eden, uh, um, Of Mice and Men, uh, Greats of Wrath. So a lot of like classic American novels. Um, and at first, it's a bit of a, it's like it's always a bit of a grind, like the first like twenty or thirty or fifty pages. Mm-hmm. But then it clicks into gear, and once and once you're used to his style, like it's the the payoffs are totally worth it. Um, uh, I think the only book that I can describe uh, having the same experience you just described there is the book um, Shogun by James really? Clavell. That's an a thousand page book. I could have read another thousand pages of that book if it was longer, easily, even though it's a freaking tome. Like Is it's it the that good? coolest freaking story, dude. Yeah, dude. It's about a guy called um James Blackthorne, this like English pirate who gets marooned in Japan, like early days, and he just like gets captured. And it's just it's just a thrilling and like it starts off he's on the ship was shipmates have scurvy, you're like right into it. There's no messing around, and the thousand pages just flew by. So good. Wow. Um, because yeah. I, I did martial arts when I was younger, and I always had associated the shogun with the what was it called Musashi, if you know Musashi. Yeah, yeah, oh, right, yeah, yeah. But Musashi yeah, the, was the, just the, so slow because for some weird reason I started with that one, and I got like maybe three quarters in, and then I stopped for unbeknownst reason. I was just too young to appreciate it, but never started the shogun because I, I of couldn't it. do the writing that. I made it like two pages, and I was just like, "This writing just doesn't gel with my brain." Like, I just couldn't do it. I know it's meant to be a classic. I just couldn't. I, I, I opted out. I was like, "You know what? This is just. I, I'm gonna have to take the L on this one." Like, I can't. Damn. So. Uh, the one that actually was like just a complete uh, page turner was uh, the three body problem. Oh, he loved that. I've heard amazing things about that. Uh, I haven't read it yet. So good. Uh, I warn you, though, it's a it's a three book series. Nobody told me before that, and. It just gets increasingly longer by the book. But once you start it with the first nice. one, if you finish it, you're hooked. There's no way of not finishing the whole thing. I love it. Yeah. I'm scared. I have it. And I don't want to read it now because I don't want to get hooked. It's so good. That's a good problem to have. That it gets you hooked from, at least it got me hooked from the first 20 pages or so. Because I started that one on a plane, unbeknownst to me what was about to happen. A strong drug to, uh, of course, <laughs> for the weak mind that I had. I have weak that wheel. exact story with the Martian. Someone I was, I, I met a dude, and then I agreed to go with him to Norway for some reason. Two weeks later, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Norway. And on in the in as we were boarding, he was like, oh, d- 
if, did you read Andy Weir? I'm like, I have no idea who the fuck Andy Weir is. Like, oh, dude, here's my Kindle. I'm like, oh, I've never seen a Kindle. He's like, what the fuck? Have it and read it. And I read like three quarters of it in a like one and a half hour flight from London to 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 Oslo or however long it is. Just read the whole like most of it, and it was so good. It's such a good book, and I hated the movie because they got like free things wrong. <laughs> what do they get wrong? I haven't read the book. Uh. I remember one thing because this was years ago. It's yeah. when, ah, oh, fuck, I can't remember. It was something to do with the way he hooked up the two the two rovers together. Right. Remember that? It's something they fucked up something about the way they hooked them up together, like how they mm. compartmented it. And then when he goes to the huge crater and there's a storm coming. I think, was it in the movie that he manages to overcome the storm? Like, he doesn't go through it or something? And in the book, it's full-on hits him, and there's, like, this whole moment that they just kind of completely ignore in the movie. Oh, right. Another moment of, like, oh, he might be fucked right now, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Something along those lines. But I was like, wait, wait, that's not right. Yeah, that that movie for me, I I love the movie, but for me, it was the classic example of, like, um, like, in any other writer um you know astronaut stranded on mars uh you know no one around Damon. yeah i just like but like in the film it's like i'm gonna science the shit out of this yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know the proactive human spirit whereas anyone else would be like i'm alone i'm gonna die i'm gonna kill myself oh god there's no solitary confinement to the max yeah like like it would be terrifying um so i mean and to, to loosely bring this back to what we were speaking about before but i think it's that like um you know, objectively, you can have characters in the same situation, but they can have a different emotional reaction to it. Yeah. And so maybe with like nihilism versus absurdism, it's like um, the the fact of the matter is the same, but you can imagine having a different emotional response. And I think that's where mm-hmm. the sort of teenage boy, downish, oh, life has no meaning, slumped, as you were saying. Um, like, uh, you know, you can either be like, nothing matters, yay, or nothing matters, huh? <laughs> um, like the emotional response is not dictated by the philosophy. That's interesting. What would you do if you were on the ISS and <laughs> the Earth exploded and you were just kind of sitting there looking? Ah, dude, I don't know. Like, I think that's be it really used to be like, yeah, I'd be all philosophical. I'd probably fucking freak the fuck out and just like you know, um, uh, be like any other human. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's not much you could do, really. Uh, if the Earth exploded, I mean, the ISS probably start drifting out into space as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my uh, one of the best jokes I saw on Reddit was because obviously we've got the the Voyager, what the Voyager one and two, which like contain all those like golden discs of like the mm-hmm, human. Yeah. Um, and obviously they they contain of like details of what a human being is, but like their diagrams of like human bodies, and so like we've sent nudes out into the universe, and like you know, yeah. okay, of course aliens are going to visit us. Like you sent nudes, so I'm going to come over to your house. So yeah, like Fuck dude, yeah. <laughs> of course. But they haven't those motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, Can you blame them though? No. Well, that that's a whole debate in, in and of itself of whether, you know, th- they have achieved a level of we never have to fight and we're all perfect. Or maybe they're even worse at us where they're like conquesting other galaxies or whatever. Gap. A gap. A gap? Uh, no, I think there's, a, there's a, a, an idea called the gap, which is that like... Um, uh, 
this idea that like you know life advances through stages and it's possible no you're no, like, no, one no, of the no. reasons why we you're haven't cutting. seen oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yep, yep, you're my back. back. Kind of. Say Rudolph. Yes. Say yes, Rudolph. Yes. Ah, it's... There you go. Rudolph. There you Rudolph. go. Hey. I should just get my... Ah, you're I moving. think like I'm, I'm back for like five seconds at a time, and then it cuts out again. No, you're moving at real speed. No, so, yeah, you're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, no, you're good. Do I have my... I'm moving at real speed. All right, yeah. So as far as I'm aware, as I can recall, the gap is basically this idea that one of the reasons we haven't seen alien life is because uh, life, uh, as it advanced to like this idea of like the super intergalactic civilization that we'd like it to arrive at, uh, um, there is an insurmountable gap there. And that might be technological, that might be cultural, um, and it's more than likely that that gap is in front of us. Uh, and um, oh. so that might be... I feel like I'm cutting out. The, the no, great filters, good, good. right? The what? The great filters. That's how I know the gap being referred to. Like oh, great... that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. Great filter. Yeah. No, sorry. Yeah. No, I misremembered the name. You're 100% right. Great filter. This reminds you of the Drake equation. Is that is that correct? Drake guy? I don't know what a Drake equation is. Is that the one where there's like this equation figuring out the probability of other life existing and it takes into account like, you know, rate of a technological advancement, number of galaxies, number of habitable planets around suns, shit like that. What was the guy you you, you named? You remember the name of uh, civilization? One, two, three, whatever. Uh, Kardashev. That guy. Uh, in order to take uh, a race, a species, something from one civilization to the other, he has to pass these great filters, like yeah, nuclear uh, power yeah, would be yeah, one yeah, of them. Yeah. Uh, just... War itself would be one I think of the them. last ones, like containing the 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 entire sun. That will be one of and them. And then the last one, I think, is containing the entire like the center of the galaxy. Yeah, and, and I'm blowing everything all up. that. Well, you don't block it out necessarily. No, no, blow everything up. Oh, okay. Yeah. On that note, I feel that this has been we've we've taken enough of your time with our stupid questions. Uh, no, I've, I've had so much fun. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for indulging me, guys. I've, I've really enjoyed Dude, speaking about thank so. you for for being here. You're, you're you're awesome and cool and I'm glad that they, we we got this opportunity to sit down in a chat and then record it and oh sell it and make money out of it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. No. Like um say so, no 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 no. Like if you're ever in town, uh hit me up obviously if I'm I've swing by yours um You're in yeah, London, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn it. Dude, we, we promise like, we'll be back in London for years. <laughs> we just, I can't believe we missed each other, man. Like, I moved that one in 2016. Yeah, man. So I was, oh, well. Uh, I was less likable back then, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TikTok, TikTok wasn't a thing back then, was it? Uh, you just missed yourself by six years. It's fine. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Guys, no, 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 I'm sure we'll meet up in person at some point. Yeah, let's try again. It'll be great. We'll do it. Um, okay, before we... Yes, of course. Traditions. Before before we let you go, um, <laughs> we have this thing at the end where you get like 20 seconds or so, we're not going to count, where you can give a shout out or mention anything or tell people where they can find you or reference a book, a movie, or anything you want the world to know from your mouth words. D do, okay. please go. <laughs> Say. Uh, do, do, I get, do I get a think or do I just have to go? <laughs> or am I using up time now? Oh, God. Do it, do it, quick, quick, um, quick. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'd say if you want to um, uh, have a podcast, it's called the Jack Lawrence Podcast, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok uh, at Jack.Loro, L-A-W-R-O. 
Um, aside from that, the one thing I'd suggest, um, we were talking about David Foster Wallace earlier. Uh, yeah, don't read Infinite Jest. Check out Consider the Lobster first. He is a brilliant writer. If you read Infinite Jest, you will just be setting yourself up for misery. Um, but he's brilliant. And so uh, I'd like for more people to read his works. So, All right. There you go. Short and sweet. Awesome. Um, he gave them in 20 seconds. I mean, you know, non non measured. All right. That was it. Is that it? Thank you. I think that's it. Bye. Yeah. Bye bye. Cool. All right.